How are you? Good. Hey, before we jump in this morning, I wanted to recognize a special guest that we have here. Um, this goes back years of a partnership that Chestnut Mountain has had um, in Haiti. But we have Pastor Eucelia. Is that right? Acelia, doggone, I was close. I got the word, your letter U, Acelia. Um, but he is here this morning with us um, just to come and join um, in, in worship today. Um, and if you know that, that for years now, um, Chestnut Mountain has partnered with, um, with this organization in Haiti where they've purchased property and, and built a mission organization and and it's just something that we continue to partner with. Um, so when we have somebody from across the world come and spend time with us, um, I think it's, it's worth our recognition that they're here. Um, so if you get an opportunity to, to speak to Pastor Acelia today, please do that and let him know. There he is right there. Turn, you can turn around and wave. There you go. So we're glad he's here this morning with us. Um, so thank you for being with us, and we're excited about what God continues to do there. As we jump into this morning, we, like I said, we have to jump in because here's the reality. We've gone one verse, two verses. This week, we're verses four through 20. So we're going to be here for like six hours today, okay? So cancel lunch, all that kind of stuff. I'm just kidding. But I do have to continue in the vein because we were victorious in last week that y'all actually were familiar with a movie reference that I had. Y'all all remember Willy Wonka. That's like the first movie y'all have all gone, oh yeah, I've seen that one because all the other ones you don't know. I don't know if it's, you don't watch movies, but I figured we were hot. So we've got to continue on that streak. Um, so I've got to, we're going to do a different game this week, if you would. And it's going to be kind of like, y'all remember the name that tune? We're about to really show our age now. You remember, I can name that tune in three notes. You remember all those things, right? But today is going to kind of be fill in the blank of lyrics, Okay, so I'm going to take an old song, and I'm going to see who can fill in the blanks to that song. Can y'all do that for me? All right, y'all good? Here we go. And I'm not going to read the whole verse. Lisa, you can't do this. I've already cheated and told her. So she was in the office. She guessed it. I was just testing it out to make sure somebody would understand this, and I wasn't only... Never mind. We'll, we'll read it. You ready? Do you love me? Do you want to be my friend? And if you do... Well, then don't be afraid to take me by the hand. And if you want to, I think this is how love goes. Good. Five of you got it. How many of you knew that song, but you were just too embarrassed to sing it out loud? Okay, praise God. So y'all do know it. But here's the reality. That is one of the simplest songs is, hey, if you love me, check yes or no. And how many of you grew up in the day and age where these phones weren't around and we wrote notes? Man, and it was, a, I hated it. In the beginning of class at the first of a school year, the teacher would say, if you pass a note and I take it up, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to read it out loud to everybody. But you know, in those, in those notes that we would write, you remember we folded them up all kind of fancy ways so it would take almost a, an atomic bomb to open the sucker anyway. Then we even had those little... Y'all remember that? Okay, good. Y'all are all remembering this morning. Y'all are on top of things. But you know, we even took this most, the simplest thing on, uh, on the earth to say, hey, do you love me? Do you want to be my friend or do you want to be my boyfriend? Do you want to be my girlfriend? Check yes or no. But we had to complicate it. We had to put a box right in the middle. Maybe. 
I'll think about it. Y'all remember all that? And it never failed. That was usually the one that got checked, or at least it was in my case. I don't know why, because I always tried to wrestle with the mindset of why in the world could they not just check yes or no? If they would have checked no, it would have just simplified this whole thing and I could have moved on. But instead, they would check the box maybe, or I'll think about it. And I realized of several things, either they like me and they don't want anybody to know, or they just feel sorry for me and they don't have the heart to tell me no, which in most cases, that was probably it, or they were just in embarrassed of the fact that they did like me and they wanted to hide this. So they could not check yes or no. So that little maybe box just clouded everything because now I'm like, okay, does she like me or not? You know, do I sit beside her at lunch or do I stay completely away from her? And I never knew because she didn't check yes or no. It was always the one right in the middle. And because we put our hands on things, we clouded it up and we made things very gray, if you would. But today, what we're gonna read in the book of Habakkuk, God is going to make something very clear, especially in the very beginning verse that we're gonna to read today. Remember, he's been speaking of the victory that's to come. He's talking about that one day Babylon will fall and the Israelites will be victorious. And so we know that in that, there's two boxes. There's a winner and there's a loser. Okay, with a, with a football game yesterday, you don't tie. There's either a victory or there's a loss. And so God is putting these two classifications on two different type of people today. They're gonna be in one box or they're gonna be in the other. They're gonna win or they're gonna lose. It's that simple. And that's what God's gonna break down because his judgment is coming. So the question is, is who's gonna win and who's gonna lose? And what we know is that when reading in the Old Testament, all of these victories that are being talked about are these temporary victories, okay? It's where the, the Babylonian army will fall and we know that once that happens, there was another battle, then there was another battle. But ultimately what this is all the foreshadowing of to come is the coming of Christ. This is all leading up to the victory that us as believers will experience through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we have to track with that and understand that, that even when we read about it in Habakkuk chapter two, we shared this last week, but it says, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. That's in Habakkuk chapter two, verse, at the ver end of verse three. And he uses the word it. But then when you fast forward to the book of Hebrew, the writer changes that one word to the word he. And it says, for he will certainly come, he will not delay. So he's not only now talking about victory, but he's pointing to Jesus. He says, look, he is coming. He will not delay. He is coming to rescue all of those who have placed their faith in him. So we know that this is leading to the coming of Christ. But the truth is, is in that mindset, when Jesus in his glory comes to, back to earth, have you checked the yes box? Or have you checked the no box? There is no maybe. There is no I'll think about it. There is no gray area. There is no, 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 there's no fogginess to this concept. Either you follow Jesus Christ or you don't. It's that simple. When Jesus returns, the question is, is, is your faith in him or is it not in him? 
It's that simple. But in God's response to Habakkuk, where we're gonna go today, he breaks this down into two groups. In Habakkuk chapter two, and we're gonna start today in verse four. We're gonna start in verse four and no, we're not just gonna sit and read four through 20. Um, We're gonna kind of take some of these and just break them apart. But in verse four, he says this, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. So we have two groups here. We've got the proud group and we've got the righteous group. And so what we have to do is we have to spend some time looking at what God is actually speaking to Habakkuk and what he's wanting him to understand. And what we're gonna read through the rest of these verses is he's going to give us a lot of characteristics of those who were proud. He's gonna give us a lot of characteristics to those who who were not humble, who were puffed up is what the ESV says. And then also I want us to look at what does it mean when it say the righteous will live by faith. And that's kind of where we're gonna start. We're gonna take that that statement and break it apart first before we unpack all of the, the big heart of the message for today. But the word righteous, where we have to be careful is a lot of us have defined this word the wrong way. Because in our mind, we think righteous means perfect. We think righteous means they have it all together. But even when we look in the Webster's Dictionary, what righteous means is simply this, to live free from guilt and shame. To live free from guilt and shame is what righteous means. And in Romans chapter eight, verse one, we know what, what Paul writes in here. He writes that, the, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning there is no guilt. There is no shame for all of those who are in Christ, all of those who have trusted Christ, all the who has called on Jesus Christ to be the Lord of their life. There is no condemnation. There is no guilt. There is no shame for their sin, not because they're perfect, not because they had it all together, but simply because they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the righteous will live by faith means. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. And so I kind of took this and broke it apart. But in other words, it's saying this, that the righteous will live by trust. The righteous will live by trust, meaning that they're trusting in what Christ has done. They're trusting in his perfection. But even if we wanna take it a step further, we defined righteous a minute ago, but it says those who live free from guilt and shame Trust Jesus. That's really what this verse is talking about. The righteous shall live by faith is saying that those who live free from guilt simply trust Jesus. And that is how the simplest way that I know how to break this verse down is that that for us to live free of the guilt and the shame of the sin in our life, of the sin that we've committed in the past, the sin that we're gonna commit is that we just have to simply trust in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But here's the issue. You either trust him or you don't. You either trust him or you don't. And that's the question this morning. Do you trust the name of Christ with your eternity? Or are you still trusting in your abilities? 
Are you still trusting in your skills? Are you still trusting in your works? Are you still trusting in your ability not to sin? Is this what you're still trusting in? Because if you're trusting in all of those things, we lose. The only victory is when we trust in the perfection of Jesus Christ. So if we wanna be free from guilt and shame, we simply have to trust him and trust in his perfection. And you see, what breaks my heart is there's so many people when we ask the question, do you know if you'll go to heaven when you die? Well, I think I will. I've been a good person. I didn't do this or I didn't do that. But the truth is, and in 1 John 5, 13, it says this, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know so that you may know that you have eternal life. The reason that this book is written, the reason that we read of the victory of Jesus Christ is not so that we can wander aimlessly through life, hoping we can be good enough to go to heaven. But the reality is, is he's saying, look, if you'll simply trust in my son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection, then the answer is you will know where you will spend eternity. It's all about what he did on the cross. It's all about what he did on the cross. So now I want us to look at the group who wasn't trusting God. Specifically in the book of Habakkuk, what we're reading about is the Babylonians. We're reading about this army that is rising up, the most powerful force at this time. They had all the wealth, they had all the money, they had all the power, they had all the success that the world would classify as someone that had, had reached their abilities. But what I notice about this is when he writes, when God speaks to Habakkuk, he calls them the proud. And he says, behold, as for the proud one or the puffed up one, his soul is not right within him. His soul is not right within him. You see, in spite of Babylon being so powerful, in spite of them having it all together when it came to a worldview, in spite of them having all the money, in spite of them having all the fame, in spite of them having all of the power, what it says when their spirit or their soul was still unsettled, it meant that they were not satisfied. They had everything the world had to offer, but yet their soul was still not satisfied. And that is actually what ends up leading to their destruction. They were very successful in the world's eyes. It appeared that they had it all together, but because that satisfaction had not been reached, they continued to strive for more power they continued to strive for more money. They continued to strive for more territory and they were willing to do whatever they had to do to accomplish it. They were willing to do whatever they had to do to accomplish it. So what we see here is that, that the enemy, the devil is already at work in this Babylonian army. He's saying, look, if you'll just reach this goal, 
If you'll just get this property, if you will just, if you will just overcome this group of people, then you'll be satisfied. How many times does the enemy do the very same thing to us, even as followers of Christ that says, hey, you know what? If you will get that job, you'll be satisfied. If you'll make this amount of money, you will be satisfied. If you'll get this guy or this girl, you will be satisfied. But in reality, what we see is when we strive to fill our flesh, what ends up happening at the end of the day is it's never satisfied. There's always something more. There's always something greater. There's always something bigger. There's always a promotion that is in front of us because the enemy doesn't want us to be satisfied because he knows our flesh and he knows that we will go to whatever degree that we need to in order to fulfill the satisfaction of our flesh. And that is very, very slippery territory. But this idea of being unsatisfied is what defined Babylon. It's what defined this Babylonian army. But then what I find very interesting is what God reveals to Habakkuk next. I want you to read verse five with me. And now look, we're gonna break this apart. We're gonna take the very first part of verse five and we're gonna spend a little time there and then we're gonna move on to the rest of it. But in the very first part of verse five, he's talking about this. He says, furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man. Wine betrays the haughty man. And what we're gonna find is that Habakkuk, as he unpacks this one little verse, what I want you to understand is that as a prophet, what his job was, do you remember, I think it was in chapter one, where God instructed Habakkuk, he said, look, what I'm about to speak to you, what I'm about to tell you, I want you to write it down. Y'all remember that? And he said, write it down clearly so that everyone else will understand it. He didn't say Habakkuk, I'm gonna give this to you so then I want you to give me your thoughts. I want you to give me your opinion, Habakkuk. He said, no, what I'm about to speak to you, you, read that, you write down what I'm going to speak. So what all of these prophets in the Old Testament have written, what they've recorded, do we realize that it is from the mouth of God himself? It's not their opinion. It's not a commentary, but it is God breathed and it is what they have recorded because they were doing what God had called them to do. But what's interesting is that he brings all the attention of what's going on in Babylon and he focuses it on the sin of their drunkenness. And you'll understand that that's where we're going in just a minute, but he talks about the sin of their drunkenness. And what I found very interesting is I did read this this week, just the similarity of what God would speak to the prophets, what he would speak to the prophets of the, of the kingdoms that seemed powerful, of the kingdoms that seemed like they had all the money, they had all the wealth, they had all the power, they had everything that they wanted. Listen to what this commentator, commentator said. He says this, notice that God mentions their sin of drunkenness. This issue comes up from several times in the writings of the prophets. In Amos, Joel, Nahum, now Habakkuk, Nahum makes it clear that drunkenness brought down the kingdom of Assyria. Amos tells us that it was drunkenness that caused God to send the northern kingdom into captivity. Now Habakkuk says that it is drunkenness that will cause God to destroy Babylon. In other words, Drunkenness works out 
its own destruction. Drunkenness characterized Babylon. Daniel 5, which tells us of Belshazzar's great feast. That was the night that Babylon fell. Why did they fall? They were drunk. It was a night of revelry and drunkenness and they felt perfectly safe and secure in their fortified city. You see, so the common thing that we see, even with the evil that's going on in Babylon, is all of these other kingdoms that were falling, what was the common denominator? Yes, sin was the common denominator, but it also said that they fell in their drunkenness. Every time that an empire would fall, every time that a kingdom would fall, it was in a state of drunkenness. And so I'll just be honest. This is the hard part of preaching through a passage of a book because I can't skip anything. Because it'd be a whole lot easier just to move in and say, oh, you know what, victory's in chapter three. Let's go to chapter three. But the reality is, is this, this word that is written down that Habakkuk wrote is from the mouth of God. We can't forfeit anything that God spoke. And so what we see is that I stared at this verse, literally sat for two hours and just stared. And we'd get under my desk. We'd get up and stare some more. We'd get back under my desk and pray some more. We'd get back up and stare some more. And so then the reality is, is I looked through all commentaries. I looked through everything under the sun. And you know what blows my mind is how many people skirt around what this verse really means. Even theologians who are a whole lot smarter than I am, but they don't want to talk about this. They don't want to mention what did Habakkuk mean? What did God mean when he recorded that wine betrays the haughty man? And so what I've done is I've got on, a, on the screen, you're going to see it in just a minute. It's going to pop up and it's that verse. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man. And is that graphic downloaded today? The one that breaks it down, is it on there? It may not be. No, keep going. That's a verse. Okay, it's not on there, I don't think. Anyway, well, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break it down for you, okay? I took the verse, furthermore, furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man. When we look at the word furthermore, what the word furthermore literally means is indeed. No questions asked. It says indeed. I've got a, I've got a graphic on my phone and I'm gonna pull it up because it's something that I've got so I don't mess this up. But furthermore means indeed. The word wine, it interprets as this, wine, fermented drink, or intoxication. And then the word betray means this, that it acts treacherously, it acts deceitful, and it lies to. Who does it lie to? Who does it act treacherously to? It does this to the haughty man. When we define the word haughty man, it is proud, it is arrogant, it is one who thinks he's untouchable, one who thinks that he is above attack, the one who thinks he can overcome anything. And it even talks about that this is the idea, the word man means a strong man, a valiant warrior. Because you do realize that Babylon was the most powerful empire at this time. They had all the wealth, they had all the strength, they had all of the power, but what this verse is saying, that even the potential of this idea of intoxication, intoxication will still bring down, it will lie to, it will deceive even the mightest of warriors. 
The man or the woman that thinks this has no hold on me, this has no impact on me, I in my flesh can overcome it. I can defeat it. I can beat this thing. But what God spoke to Habakkuk is he says this, it will even bring down the most prideful individual who thinks that it doesn't have a hold on them. It even brings down the most pridefulest of armies of Babylon. This army who is overtaking God's people. This army who is overtaking the people that God has chosen, that God has selected. But drunkenness brought them down even when they thought they were untouchable. You see, it led to the destruction because of this. It intensified their pride. It intensified their pride. It caused them to be restless. It caused them to be more unsatisfied because it led them to do things that they normally would not have done. It led them to do things that they normally would not have done. And then that's what God begins to unpack in all of verses six through 20. If you look in verses six through 20, what he's talking about here is is beginning out and it says, these are all of the woes. These are all the woes that are coming to Babylon. And then woe is pretty much defines itself. You ready? Woe. That's pretty much what God is saying is, whoa, I feel sorry for. This is gonna be rough. Whoa, this is not good. Look, when we all watched game five of the Braves, first inning, 10 to nothing, what were we all saying? Whoa, this ain't gonna end well. Whoa, this is not gonna go good. That's exactly how powerful God's word is here. He's just saying, whoa, this is not going to go well. Verse six, we're gonna quickly run through these, but he says in verse six, Woe to him who increases what is not his. Meaning, woe to the guy who takes on illegal or dishonest gain. Verse nine is woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Meaning, they take advantage of the weak. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. And basically what he's saying here is, woe, that empire is not gonna last. Verse 15, woe to who make your neighbors drink. Woe to those who entice other people to sin is what he's talking about here. Verse 18, woe to those who says to a piece of wood, awake. And what he's referencing here is the idea of idolatry. Saying woe to those who puts anything above God. Woe to those who are, who are doing any of these things. But the reality is, is all five of these are sin. That's what God's addressing But the problem with a drunkenness state is it intensifies all of these same areas. And because of the drunkenness state, it caused people to cross lines that they were never setting out to to cross. But the reality is, is it made them become somebody that they weren't. It caused them to do things that they normally would not do. But you see, Babylon was a proud people. They were prideful, they were puffed up. They thought that we can do whatever we wanna do and nothing will come against us. Nothing will destroy us. Nothing can overcome us. Nothing can overtake us because we've got it all together. We've got it all figured out. 
And so we see that God is referencing them as the proud. So he's saying, what is coming to this proud group of people? What is coming to this prideful army is destruction. My wrath is coming to this proud group of people because they don't think they need me. They think they've got it all under control. But the one who's victorious is the one who's trusted me. It says the righteous will live by faith. Remember those who live free from guilt are simply trusting in who Jesus is and trusting in what Jesus has done. But you know, so we see here, we see the, the check yes or no box. We see the check yes or no box. Babylon is the no. Israel, Judah is the yes because they're trusting in, in who God is. They're trusting in his power. They're trusting in his glory. But you know, we read that and, and as I wrestled, I thought, God, what? there's gotta be more here. God, what exactly are you, why are you telling Habakkuk everything that, 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 that Babylon has fallen short of? Why are you pointing out all of Babylon's sin? Why are you pointing out all of the things that is leading to their destruction? And I said, God, why are you doing this? Why, why can't you just say, Habakkuk, I win. I destroy Babylon, end of story. Why did you go into all of the details of saying, woe about this, woe about that, woe about this? And what God led me to is the commitment that Habakkuk made earlier in this book. You remember Habakkuk said, I'm gonna take a position. I'm gonna to go to my guard post. Do you remember what the guard post was? That was the specific place that God had called Habakkuk to protect, which was Judah. And I asked you the question when we left that week is, is what is your guard post? Where has God called you to protect? Where has God called you to love? Where has God called you to look over to make sure the enemy's not working his way in? What is that for you? Is it your workplace? Is it your family? Is it your children? Is it your loved ones? Is it your teams? What is it? But every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we all have a guard post. We all have something that we're responsible for. And so he makes this commitment to take a stand on his guard post. He's taking responsibility to Ju for Judah. But then he says, I position myself on the rampart. And remember when he said, I'm positioning myself on the rampart, the reason that he would go up to this highest location was to step away from the sin of this world, was to step away of the turmoil that was going on in Judah. And what he would do is he would position himself to find when the enemy was coming from, how the enemy was attacking, but he also did it to hear from God. You remember he did it to hear from God. And so then it all began to make sense to me. Could it be that God was speaking all of this stuff, all of these woes, all of this danger, because the very sin that was leading to Babylon's destruction was the very sin that God's chosen people that Judah was participating in? Mic drop, I guess. Maybe that's what that was. But you see, now God has forewarned Habakkuk of what is leading to Babylon's destruction. He's saying, look, Habakkuk, their drunkenness, 
their greediness, their covetousness, their idolatry, all of those things are leading to the destruction of Babylon. So what you've got to be careful to tell the people of Judah, my chosen people, that the very same sin that is bringing down the lost has the ability to bring down the saved. It has the ability to bring destruction in whatever way, shape, or form. But the problem is, is that we as believers have came to a place where we think we're untouchable. You see, we've got our fire insurance. We've called out to God to save us. So we've checked the yes box. And so now we think we can wander through life and deal with anything that we want to deal with. And we're safe. Yes, you're safe for eternity. But the reality is, is, What kind of impact are we having here? Could it be that God just a warning Habakkuk, Habakkuk, go back and tell your people. Go back and tell Judah that drunkenness is going to destroy them. That idolatry is going to destroy them. That greediness is going to destroy them. But we read in Proverbs 16, 8, that it says this, pride comes before destruction. So how did the people respond when Habakkuk went to Judah? We don't really, we don't know. How did they respond when Habakkuk said, look, guys, here's what God told me. All I'm doing is telling you what God has spoken. All I'm telling you is that God has warned us against drunkenness. God has warned us against idolatry. God has warned us against greed. God has warned us against all of these things because it has led to Babylon's destruction. You say, well, Brian, what does this have to do with us? Brian, what does this have to do with us? Can I tell you that God has called me for this to be my guard post? And I hope that you know that I love every one of you. And it is my duty whether you like it or not, to tell you what God has spoken and to warn you against the very things that lead to destruction. You know, there was a time in my life that I wish somebody would have warned my daddy. I wish somebody would have said, Aubrey, that drink's gonna lead to destruction. but we buried my dad four years ago because he didn't take heed to the warning. And can I tell you, I'm, I'm tired of burying young adults. I'm tired of seeing people chase after something that will never satisfy. 
I'm tired of seeing people lied to. I'm tired of seeing people fall into the trap of the enemy. I am tired of seeing people look and say, oh, this will be fun for a season. But in the reality, they end up in rehab somewhere. They end up having to detox to the phone call I got last night. I love you too much not to warn you. But here's the problem. We as believers, we walk through this life thinking, you know what? I can overcome this. But here's what I'm begging you today is to never say, greed won't have a hold on me. Idolatry won't have a hold on me. Alcohol won't have a hold on me. Murder won't ever have a hold on me because the moment we say that it never will, guess who we're depending on? We're depending on us. We're depending on me. We're depending on our flesh. But here's a reality check. Your flesh is weak. Your flesh lives to please itself. My flesh lives to please itself. Even myself have given into things that I thought years ago, I'll never struggle with that. I'll never deal with that. But just in the strength of my own power, I can overcome it. And in reality, it does nothing but lead to destruction. It leads to destruction. And the reason that he focuses so much on the idea of drunkenness is that it just intensified all the other sin in his life. It intensified every other thing that he struggled with. Proverbs 23, 31 and 32, it says, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it is sparkling in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and the stings like a viper. You know, I read an analogy or, a, or a, as this was actually a true story and it was a pastor who was speaking to a bunch of other pastors and they were sitting in a round table environment and he walked in and he had a, I envision kind of a potato sack on his shoulder and he walked into the room of pastors and he takes that bag and he, he lays it out on the middle of this round table and he turns it upside down and he dumps the, dumps the bag out. And what was in that bag was a bunch of rattlesnakes. Yeah, you're already going, man, I've done said every cuss word in the book. I've, I am doing everything I can to get out of that room. I've torn the walls down. That would have been me. I'll just go ahead and tell you. But what did those pastors do? Did they sit around and go, oh, look at the pretty little snake? Did they pet it? And they said, look how beautiful. Just look at all those little rattles. Isn't that just the cutest little thing? But no, what happened is those pastors jumped up and they got as far away from it as they could. They backed up against the wall. They were throwing chairs. They were turning over things to get out of the way. And the pastor looked at every one of them and he says, until the church gets that serious about sin, we are headed for destruction. You see, the reality is the snake hadn't bit anybody. 
The snake hadn't done anything. The snake was laying there, but the potential danger that was laying there is what was gonna kill if they got a hope to somebody. Hope to somebody, I don't even know if that's a word, but y'all understood it, right? Praise God. But church, let's just call it what it is. If I had you raise your, a matter of fact, we will. How many homes have been affected by alcohol or any sort of substance abuse? Raise your hand. Put your hands down. Why do we keep playing with snakes? We don't have time. We don't have time, church. There's somebody in this room today that you're in bondage. You're in bondage. Because you continue to run to the things that please your flesh. You're so unsatisfied, you're so discontent. And in your mind, you're thinking, if I can just get that promotion at work, I'll be satisfied. If my child can just reach this level of perfection, I'll be satisfied. If this situation in my home will be fixed, I'll be satisfied. If I can just get that one more drink, I'll be satisfied. If I can just shoot up that one more time, I'll be satisfied. You know, the enemy has not changed his ways yet. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. And it is time instead of running to the lies, we run to the truth. That Jesus Christ is saying, come as you are. Come with your addiction. Come with your struggles. And I will welcome you right where you are. He's the only one that can break those chains. He's the only one that can set us free. And so this morning, my question is, is the hardest step is always the first one. I'll never forget as a 14 year old boy, was downstairs in my basement in my little dungeon that I slept in. And it was about 11.30 at night and I heard just tears of a calling for my name, Brian, Brian. And I thought, that sounds like my daddy. I'm a 14 year old boy. My daddy called me upstairs because he said, Brian, I need your help. I'm 14. I said, daddy, what do you want me to do? He said, I just want you to pray over me. But the one thing that I'll admire about my daddy is he fought and he fought and he fought. But there's somebody in this room this morning that you need to fight. And the only way to fight is fight on your knees. The only way to fight is to get yourself around the people who love you. 
the people that will give you somewhere to run besides running to the liar, instead of running to the deceiver, instead of running to the enemy. And maybe this morning you're sitting there going, Brian, that's me. I'm tired of being in chains. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of this sin that I'm battling with. Maybe it's not drunkenness. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's coveting. Maybe it's greediness, whatever it is. But I would wanna know who in this room feels comfortable enough, who feels broken enough to come to an altar just like this and say, I can't fight it anymore. I need my people around me. I need God on my side. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to walk with me through this journey. Is there anybody here that would be bold enough to stand and make that move this morning? They would just say, I'm the one, that's me. You're preaching to me, you're preaching at me. But here's what I wanna encourage you with, it ain't me preaching. It's God's word who's preaching. Remember, this is what God's word says, not what Brian says. I'm a dummy. But I do want you to hear me this morning when I tell you that I'm warning you because I love you. I don't want your home to fall apart. I don't want you to bury loved ones. I don't want your loved ones to have to bury you. So this morning I would ask that we stand and y'all hear me say this a lot. I don't know how to respond to this. But maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're in the midst of a struggle right now. Maybe you're in the midst of a battle right now. I would beg you this morning to wave your white flag and say, I can't fight anymore. Church, we gotta get back to running from the snakes. I started to bring a bag and throw it here on the floor, but then boy, that would have got all over social media in a hurry. Y'all heard what they're doing at Chestnut Mountain? They playing with snakes over there. Man, that's what we should have done. But I would just ask you this morning to The righteous live by faith. Those who live free from guilt and shame, we trust Jesus. We don't trust in a substance. We don't trust in what we have. We don't trust in what we can get. We trust Jesus. And I know it's hard. There's days I don't wanna trust him. But this morning I'd ask that you just get honest. Maybe God's waiting on you to be that first one to take that first step and then you'll be shocked when the floodgates open because people are gonna say, if he can do it, I can do it. If she can do it, I can do 